Hello and welcome to episode number 530 of Holy Crap It Sports. I'm your host Pete Davis coming to you live from the banks of the Etowah River in lovely Cherokee County. Okay, it's a beautiful sunny day here for Monday, January 23rd of 2023. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, go to Pete Davis one If you want to write me, PeteDavis1 at Yahoo.com. If you want to be a patron of the show, really appreciate it. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com. Just look up Holy Crap It Sports. And let's see what else. Oh, farmhouseprintingco.com for all your t-shirt needs, including Holy Crap at Sports t-shirts, Drink Up Shriner, Kimmer Show, Shannon Burke Show, Jack the Good Boy Horse, whatever you want to put on a t-shirt or coffee mug or tumbler or anything you need, all printing needs. It's a local group here in Sonoya, Georgia. They do a great job. Eric and the gang, uh, they fulfill your every need. Uh, the best printing in Atlanta, farmhouseprintingco.com. So we got headlines for Monday, uh, January 23rd. Uh, the NFL playoffs, what were the Cowboys doing? What were they thinking? And do they fire Mike McCarthy? Of course they should, but will they? Who knows? And did tight end Dalton Schultz have money on the game? Because the way he was playing there at the end, it sure seemed that way. Uh, should the 49ers replace uh, Brock Purdy with uh, Jimmy Garofalo? I'd say, why mess with it? But Going into Philadelphia to try and outscore the Eagles the way they're humming right now? I don't know. Maybe you will need Garofalo, but he'll be rusty. So, who knows? I don't think it'll matter. I think the Eagles are going to win it. Uh, have the Bills window for a Super Bowl closed? It's not looking. Poor Buffalo. I mean, you imagine you get up Sunday morning and you're thinking this is the year and you've lost again and at home. Uh, is Joe Burrow the new Tom Brady? It sure looks like it. And we escaped it this year, but is the NFL trying to make the AFC and NFL title games, or NFC title games, be played at neutral sites? We almost had it this year for one of them. And the propaganda wing of the league has been geared up to get you ready for it. I'm looking at you, MMQB, Monday Morning Quarterback, which put out an incomplete agenda piece that Roger Goodell probably wrote the way it looked like it. Uh, former New Orleans head coach Sean Payton has taken another shot at Atlanta. I heard you, Sean. You tried to sneak it in, but I heard this yesterday. A Georgia player has been arrested, and it's not good. Georgia Tech loses a player. A beloved mascot has died. The death of Sal Bando. In fact, I may talk about that right now, tell you the truth. Right? He was the captain of the Oakland A's team that won three straight uh, World Series back in the 70s, one of my favorite teams. They wore the bright colored lime green uniforms in yellow, the, the team of Gene Tennis and Blue Moon Odom, and oh my God, Vita Blue. Let's see, Joe Rudy, Mike Green, I'm trying to think, Darren Johnson. You had uh, the Washington guy who could only run, <laughs> couldn't do anything else. Oh, God, the guy who played nine uh, positions, uh, Burt Campanaris. Oh, gosh, he had so many great players on that team. You know, Ken Holtzman, Catfish Hunter, Reggie Jackson, just so many great. Uh, Raleigh Fingers. I, I could go on and on and on and on. And, uh, man, they were so good. I think in 70, they broke the, uh, the Orioles' hold on the American League. The Orioles had been to three straight World Series and won one of them in 1970. So the A's in 72, I think, beat the Reds. In 73, they beat the Mets. And in 74, they beat the Dodgers. And they and they were all good World Series, pretty much, too. They weren't runaways. But the A's came through at the end, basically. They had uh, Dick Williams one year as a 
the manager, I forget who was the manager, maybe some of the other years, uh, Charlie O'Finley was the crazy owner. And it was just a blast watching them play. But Sal Bando has passed away. He was battling cancer for quite a long time. And he was the captain. He was he was the Ron Santo. that He held the team together. And uh, later played for the Brewers. And uh, just was a good player. Had averaged a little over 20 home runs a year, 90 RBIs. And was just a steady, steady force on that team. And it's a shame. Another one of uh, childhood heroes uh, has passed away. Also, the BBC airs uh, sex during a soccer match. Um, I may even play you the sound. No, I didn't. I erased it like an idiot. Sorry about that. You can look it up, though. BBC airs sex sounds during soccer uh, discussion. We got Pete's tweets, this day in sports history, birthdays, all kinds of good stuff. So let's, and we may even do the Lou Holtz story today. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, let's start with the NFL. Uh, during the Fox pregame yesterday or the postgame, this was after uh, Buffalo lost. So we knew that the AFC title game was not going to be played here at the neutral site of Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And they were talking to all the guys there on the set, Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long and all those guys, Michael Strahan and uh, Sean Payton. They went to Sean and he goes, well, it looks like Atlanta's lost another playoff game. I heard you. And, of course, they were talking over him, so no one really heard it. But uh, I, uh, we see you, Saints boy. So what was Dallas coach Mike McCarthy smoking during that last minute of the playoff game against the 49ers? If you're a Packers and Cowboys fan, you've been asking what he's been smoking for a long time now. Once again, clock management is his Achilles heel. Or if you went to the University of Indiana, uh, uh, Achilles? <laughs> what did that guy call it on Wheel of Fortune a few years ago? A chillis heel or something. Anyway, uh, Dak Prescott, once again, as reliable as a one-cheek sneak in church. Never tried that on a wooden pew. Uh, he never fails to fail in a clutch. And every year he get, he promises, we're going to win one of these games. One, Yeah, we've heard this before. Good guy, but just not a clutch quarterback. He's better than average, but not by much. Uh, that last flag football play was over before you could blink. Ugh. The Cowboys lost to a rookie starting his seventh game. Brock Purdy, we're talking about, Mr. Relevant now. So that was embarrassing. I said they would have to get in that kid's face, and they kind of did. The defense did their job. Micah Parsons did his job and the rest of them, but the offense sucked. And let's just face it, the Bosa, uh, Bosa and the rest of those guys there on the 49ers defense, they came to play, and they played at home. Another thing, how about tight end Dalton, I know nothing, Schultz. Two bonehead plays at the end. You see that? The Cowboys tight end, he, he gets a, a pass, and he's supposed to run out of bounds. But he basically timidly kind of goes backward out of bounds, and the referee starts uh, winding his arm, saying the clock has to keep going. You've got to keep going forward in that and go out of bounds fighting for more yards. That's why they stop the clock. They will not stop it when you timidly tiptoe out of bounds backwards or going backwards. And then it was either the next player, very very close behind that. He called a pass on the sidelines. Very simple pass. Get both feet in, right? It's the NFL, not college. Well, as uh, what's-his-face Greg Olson on the Fox broadcast pointed out, he was very nonchalant. And uh, bare, he didn't get it in. And once again, that was another wasted play. You had uh, McCarthy once wasting uh, over 30 seconds trying to decide if he was going to take a uh, uh, go for it or punt. He ended up punting, which I thought was a mistake, ended out to be. So McCarthy, to me, has to go. But why would Sean Payton enter the Jerry Jones circus? 
Talk about an ego killing a franchise. Jones has been in charge of Dallas since firing Jimmy Johnson back in the 90s and has nothing to show for it. Johnson uh, may yell, how about them Cowboys all the time? But deep down, Jimmy Johnson has got to be loving watching the Cowboys and Jerry Jones fail miserably every single year. And at what point you got you to wonder, if you're one of the, the Jones boys, you know, there's two of them probably vying to be the, the big hog when uh, Jerry finally steps away or passes away. One of them's got to say to dad, come on, you're just killing us. You've been killing us since the 90s, but none of them. I met them once uh, at the Tokyo Dome Hotel at the, uh, the roof bar, and we were drinking, and it got very heavy. That was when the Falcons played the Cowboys in an exhibition game back in 2000 there. What an experience that was. But anyway, Jeff Van Note, he had a fun time. I'll tell you about that one day, maybe. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm drinking with the Jones boys, real nice guys. And we got it in our head. We were talking with a sales guy for the Falcons in our radio station and also a former NFL player. And we all got it in our heads. We're going to go to a geisha house. So we all go take the elevator downstairs and we pile into a couple of cabs. Well, the Japanese concierge f- figures out what's happening here. Somebody informs him. He comes running out and, and is just pleading with the Jones boys in their cab not to go. It's dangerous. It's not safe. You can't do that. No, no, no. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And he talks them out of going. Unfortunately, before he could get back to our cab and talk us out of going, we said, let's move on. And we, uh, <laughs> we got the cab driver to leave. He probably never got a, a fare at that hotel ever again. And he took us to the Geisha house. And that's where the story ends because I, I don't want to say what else happened there. Let's just say of the three of us, the sales guy, the former NFL player and me, one of us, not me, chickened out. But we're not going to say who it was. He's a good guy. Always got along with him. But that was an experience. But anyway, so I was my, that's my drinking with the Jones boys. Uh, and so I know they got some balls on them, but they just, they what's the matter? Did your balls drop off, as uh, the Joker once said? Anyway, uh, bad news for Dallas. Not only did they lose, running back Tony Pollard broke his fibula in the loss. And pretty much, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is not the same player he was just two, three years ago. So that was a huge loss for them. Hopefully he can come back from that. He's a fun player to watch. The Niners parade will end in Philly next week, in my opinion. I think they play in a week. The Eagles are a juggernaut right now. And they're my choice and have been since September for the team of the NFC going to the Super Bowl. I've said since then. I thought Dallas may give them a a game if they got to them, but they're not going to get to them. Uh, The Giants laid a giant egg, but still a surprisingly good season for Brian Dayball and the gang. you got to still wonder, is Daniel Jones, he's not Eli Manning. Uh, Athletically, he's better. But so far, I, I just don't know. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be a playoff-caliber quarterback. But eh, jury's still out. Seems like a good kid. Kansas City will have a hobbled Patrick Mahomes and his high ankle sprain at home against the mighty Bengals, who frankly should be favored in the AFC title game, even if it is in Kansas City. The City of Fountains. NBC Sports uh, guru Maria Taylor accidentally... Uh, I think accidentally called them the Kansas shitty chiefs at one point. She was just, you know, they called it a spoonerism. Maybe she feels that way about Kansas city. So in my opinion, we got a Cincy, uh, Philly, a super bowl likely in the cards. 
No Cardinals were injured in the naming of the Super Bowl teams. That's what I think is going to happen, and that should be a very entertaining Super Bowl, which will be out there in Arizona, speaking of the Cardinals. Now, I've saved this because it's sad to mention these guys. Poor Buffalo. The Bills' window may have closed. Josh Allen did not look like himself, didn't run very much or very well. He was not the bulldozer he has been in recent years. I think he's been injured. I think all these hits have caught up with him. Not even playing in the snow at home helped them, not even the home crowd. That's what they play for, and it didn't help this time. That game was settled when Joe Burrow led the Bengals in a long TD drive to start the game. Then Allen missed a wide-open receiver for a big gain, and they ended up three and out. Then Cincinnati went down and scored again to make it 14-zip and didn't look back. It was 14-7 at one point. It was 17-10 at one point, but you just didn't feel the, the Bills were in charge of that game. Uh, I don't know why my voice broke there. Uh, now, here's... I'm going to take a sip here since uh, my voice is cracking for some reason. Boy, it's a pretty day outside here in Atlanta, GA, or north of there. We dodged a bullet when Cincy won that game uh, because the AFC title game will not be held at a neutral site here in Atlanta. And there has been all these rumors floating about. And you know the NFL, it's like a test balloon. They do in politics. Well, the NFL does it too. They float out this idea to see what reaction they're going to get. And frankly, the reaction is to universally pan the idea of putting the AFC and NFC title games that are always so much better as a, as a day than the Super Bowl. Uh, in a neutral site. One of the reasons the Super Bowl sometimes is, and a lot of times is a dud, is that it's at a neutral site. You need, you play all year, you play hard all year to get home field advantage for the title game. But the NFL doesn't care. Let me state, state it as bluntly as I can. The National Football League and Roger Goodell doesn't give a tinker's cuss about you, the fans. Not me and not anything. They only care about money. They don't care about the players. They show that all the time. They make more money than any sports league, I guess, except maybe, I don't know, one of the soccer ones. But uh, basically, they treat their players like cattle. They treat them like, I won't say slaves, but they treat them like cattle. They don't pay them, and they should pay them a lot. They have shorter careers. They get injured more. They get hurt more. It's a rougher game than anything else we play over here besides mainly maybe hurling <laughs> is it hurling? what's that irish thing where they play with clubs it's kind of like lacrosse for uh, uh fat irish guys hurley curl not hurley i forget what it is but anyway they basically just beat each other with clubs the whole time that's it's it's football without clubs or with clubs actually to put there but anyway the nfl's been floating this idea and, and why because they can make more money doing it and monday morning quarterback which it seems to me like a propaganda wing. It probably is. I don't know. I'll, I don't ever read it. But it went on Twitter and gave this glowing report about how good an idea this was because it would allow the NFL to test markets to see if they're ready for a Super Bowl. Uh, that's what the regular season and the playoffs are for. They know damn well who's ready for the playoffs and and, and a neutral site games that's why you also always see them in the superdome or here in atlanta or you see them out in the Cal sofi now you see them down in miami you see in tampa there are certain places that know how like glendale that know how to hold these things you know the the big stadium there in dallas outside of dallas they know how to do it houston they have the stadiums they have the facilities they know how to do these things all right 
The NFL, that's complete bullshit. Let me put it out right there. This is all about the money. And to take away the fun from the fans, to to have a home game like that on something that big, shows once again, and to float this idea that all they care. Now, Lamar Hunt, who was a visionary, former Kansas City Chiefs guy, the starter of the AFL, the old AFL, he had this idea back in the 60s, 70s, I think. And uh, thank God they, they downplayed it. Now, he was a genius. I'll give him that. He was a genius. But this is a bad idea, which is why the NFL will probably do it within five years. This is what they're probably going to do. And because they know you will keep watching. They could hold the damn game in, uh, in Lake Placid, New York, and you'd watch it. They could hold it in London, and you'd watch it. The AFC and NFC title. They know. They know. They've got you by the balls. And that's what's going to happen. And hopefully it won't, but don't put anything past these guys. All What kills me is these guys have more money than you know who. In fact, we're going to talk about one of these gazillionaires, Jeff Bezos, in just a second. They have more money than they could ever spend, and yet they want more, 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 and they want to fuck the fans over. Pardon my language, but that's what they're going to do to do it. A horrible idea. Speaking of Bezos, um, uh, Amazon billionaire, Bezos trillionaire, whatever he is, he now says he wants to buy the Washington Commanders team, and he may sell the Washington Post propaganda rag sheet to do it. I don't know if he would, if he would have to. I guess he would, since they cover the team. He would have to get rid of it, or maybe just pull a Bud Selig and say, "Oh, I was the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, but now that I'm going to be commissioner, I have nothing to do with it. It's just my daughter now." whatever uh by the way after uh bezos buys the commanders he's going to uh, jet off to mozambique to personally oversee the eradication of three species of endangered platypus in order to build more amazon sweatshops i mean warehouses and by the way i'm a huge amazon (laughs) shopper so i you know i'm sorry i try not to buy chinese goods now but i still use amazon all right, let's take a sip before we get into some college football. Not good. The Bulldogs news has not been good since the parade. And let me say right now, I never do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to defend the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Chip Towers, and the journalists. I'm sorry, Bulldogs fans. This is not a pleasant subject. The, the car crash that killed the young lady that was an employee of the school, of the recruiting staff, uh, it killed the player. Uh, hurt two other people seriously it's not a pleasant situation i know why you want to put this behind you as quickly as possible but it's not going to go anyway anytime soon we already know according to the police that uh, excessive speed and it had to be extreme excessive speed to do what that car did that vehicle did Uh, we all know that was part of the problem Whether they were impaired, the driver was impaired, and it was the young lady driving, we don't know yet. There are some people that were attacking Chip Towers saying, well, we already know there was nothing wrong with it. No, we don't. The toxicology report is not out. Here's why this is a story and why the AJC has to follow it. She and they were on a public road endangering public lives. We, uh, I'm sorry, She, she could have killed someone in that apartment. She could have killed someone else on the road, someone on the side of the road. Unfortunately, two people died. Hopefully, it was just an accident. Let's hope that they weren't impaired and that it was just an accident. But there's the reports that they left a strip joint in Athens. You got to wonder if everybody was overage. Don't you have to be 21 to get in there? 
Or maybe it was just a drag show. And they let children in that now, right? But uh, anyway, uh, if they're in a strip club, don't they have to be 21? Maybe they all were 21. Um, we'll see. Maybe they weren't uh, imbibing over the limit when they were in there. Hopefully that's the case. And that's what Chip Towers and AJC and the other people are going to try and find out. Maybe the television stations here in town. Of course, there's television stations, and especially one of them, has been too busy covering for uh, leftist Treehouse Antifa domestic terrorists over the weekend, if you didn't see that. But anyway, that's another story. But the AJC has to follow the story. And, and frankly, it is public. It should be public knowledge whether she was impaired or not. As, as rough that is for the family and the friends, we need to know. If she was driving around on a dirt road on somebody's private farm, I don't think it would be any of our business except the family's. But it wasn't. It was a public road. 2.45 in the morning, and that makes it public knowledge, and uh, it's the public's right to know once you do that. Uh, you do not have the right to get dr drunk or impaired and, and go kill people on the road. Hopefully, it was an accident that she was perfectly cold sober, and maybe they just were going too fast, and she lost control. Maybe something else was going on in the, in the truck. They were joking around and having fun on a phone, texting, or whatever, so that's, that's hopefully what we'll find out. But, you know, you know me. I don't usually defend the AJC and their reporters, but I will this time because they're, they're doing their job. They have to. Anyway, more bad news for Georgia. Wide receiver Rodarius Ra-Ra Thomas arrested early this morning, Monday, on a felony charge of false imprisonment and misdemeanor battery family violence. He's a junior from Eufaula, Alabama, recently transferred to Georgia from Mississippi State. He was released from the Athens-Clark County uh, Jail and uh, Bulldog Memorial Detention Center on uh, Monday today after posting bond. Arrested by University of Georgia Police, 4.40 a.m. this morning. He faces immediate suspension because he was charged with a felony. Thomas is six foot one, 192 pounds. A key addition to the Bulldogs who lost receiver uh, A.D. Mitchell to the transfer portal. He's going to Texas. Uh, Thomas led Mississippi State with 44 receptions, 626 yards, seven touchdowns in 2022. Uh, a little good news here. Georgia has added Missouri's Dominique Lovett, who led the Tigers with 56 catches for 846 yards with three scores this past season. So a lot of movement going around, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of movement, Zamari Walton was a key defensive back for Georgia Tech last year. After he got a first-hand look at Ole Miss destroying them 42 to nothing here at Grant Field last September, he decided, hmm, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, Walton went on Twitter to announce he's transferring to Ole Miss for this upcoming season. Walton had 36 tackles for the Yellow Jackets, tied for the eighth-most tackles in the team, had one interception and six pass breakups. Uh, sad news here out of Arkansas. A beloved college mascot passed away last week. Uh, the Razorbacks announced that Tusk Five, who was the mascot for the Razorbacks the last few years, has breathed his last snort. Tusk Five, born in 2018, they don't live long, I guess, served as the mascot from 19 to 22. He died on the Stokes family farm of natural causes. Tusk Five uh, was electric in numerous college sports for Arkansas. They had very good years in football, 18 combined SEC championships across all their sports. Earned three bowl bids in college football. His last game, Tusk 5, came back in December. Arkansas took down Kansas in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. AutoZone, 
55 to 53. It was a fun game. And I just got to say, all apologies to you UGA fans. Tusk 5 was a damn good hog. And if you read my book, The Totally Biased Guide to Southern College Football, by the way, there's going to be a new edition coming out uh, this summer, if not sooner. Uh, there's so many movements now, you kind of got to wait to the last minute. You can read about Ragnar, one of the former mascots of the school, who escaped his enclosure, went on a wild spree in the Arkansas countryside there in the Ozarks, and when they find it, it killed several hogs on farms. It killed, I think, a billy goat. I think it killed a pet or something up there. And when they found it, in its stomach, they found 18 rattlesnakes. That was Ragnar. I tell you what, a razorback is nothing to mess with. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, here's the sound I should have brought for you, but look it up yourself. It's pretty funny. The BBC has apologized after pornographic moans were heard while its presenters covered a soccer match live on the air. Gary Lineker was presenting a replay. That's what they call it over there, presenting. He's the anchor. It was last Tuesday evening, an FA Cup match between the Wolverhampton Wanderers and Liverpool, L-I-V-E-R-P, double L, Liverpool FC. Uh, when the sexual noises started playing, it was you could hear a woman going off in the background. And Lineker said, said with a straight face, I don't know who's making that noise. He, they went to another guy named Alan Shearer and said, boy, it's toasty in this studio. It's a bit noisy as well. Somebody's sending something on someone's phone. I think it's a joke. I don't know if you've heard it at home. Yeah, we did. We heard it at home. Now, Lineker, Shearer, and another analyst, and another analyst, awkwardly continued their commentary as the noises kept playing off and on. And at one point, Lineker joked, Danny, will you stop making those noises? <laughs> well, they found out the noises came. Somebody had taped a phone to the back of the set. How they got in there, I don't know. Lineker says, as pranks go, it's a good one. Credit to them. It was funny, I thought. We apologize to any viewers offended during the live coverage of the football this evening. We are investigating how this happened. Uh, but a prankster named Daniel Jarvis, who posts on YouTube under the name Jarvo69, a.k.a. BMW Jarvo, has since claimed credit. He uh, went on his channel. He describes himself as the greatest prankster of all time, streamed a video Tuesday night of himself watching the BBC coverage, and in the video, he appears to call the mobile phone attached in the studio, and uh, you hear the noises playing and him laughing as he watches their reactions. So it probably was him. That is funny as hell. Let's listen up. It's, oh, oh. And it goes on and on and on and on. Oh, kind of like uh, last night. It might, no, anyway. Anyway, let's move on. I, I, please look it up. It's pretty funny. NBA news. Fox Sports mouthpiece Shannon Sharp has apologized and taken full responsibility for the incident the other night when he had to be separated from a few Grizzlies players during a game. He was mouthing, in fact, I understand he started the mouthing off. Jason Whitlock and many others had taken him to task for the embarrassing incident, and Sharp finally saw the light and came out. And, and here's the most amazing part. Shannon Sharp not only took responsibility for it, but Skip Bayless kept his mouth shut the entire three minutes that uh, Shannon apologized. But at least Skip showed up for the show when it was an embarrassing moment for Skip Bayless a few weeks ago. Shannon Sharp decided he was going to boycott the show that day. 
which was a listen look I knew Shannon Sharp a few years ago. I got a chance to talk to him several times over a period of a couple of years. And they got, he's a true gentleman. He is the most built, solid human being I've ever seen up close in my life. Not an ounce of fat. And anyone who wants to run their mouth to him will not do it in front of Shannon Sharp. That is one big ass dude, is all I'm saying. On this day, January 23rd in sports history, uh, 1950, the NFL rule changes open way for a two-platoon system, offense and defense. 1953, in the NFL, the Dallas Texans became the Baltimore Colts, who are now the Indianapolis Colts. I know it's a twisted web we weave. There was a Dallas Texans team in the NFL. They moved to Baltimore, became the Colts. Lamar Hunt came around in the 60s and came up with the AFL team, the Dallas Texans, in which he then moved to Kansas City to become the Chiefs. And there's a great book that Chad Hangman Poitier gave to me a few years ago talking about when uh, Lamar Hunt did that. It's an, I wanted to say Lamar Smith. He was my Little League coach and State Farm agent for decades. Um, Lamar Hunt was a genius, but he wasn't right about these AFC-NFC title games. Uh, 1983, tennis great Bjorn Morg announces his retirement at age 26. That was a mistake. He later came back, but he was over the hill. Five-time Wimbledon, six-time French Open. Uh, one of the greatest of all time. And he, and he kind of quit at the point where McEnroe figured out how to beat him. Uh, 1984, Hulk Hogan beat Iron Sheik to win his first World Wrestling Federation title at Madison Square Garden. 1994, AFC Championship at Rich Stadium. Buffalo beat Kansas City 30-13. On that same day, NFC at Texas Stadium in Irving. The Cowboys beat the 49ers 38-21. And in 2000, AFC title game in Jacksonville, the Titans beat the Jags 33-14. NFC at the St. Louis, the worst dome since the Pontiac Silverdome, the TWA Dome. Uh, St. Louis Rams beat the Buccaneers 11-6. What a crap game that was. Uh, 2005, AFC title game in Pittsburgh, at Heinz Field. The Patriots beat the Steelers 41-27. NFC title game in Philly. Eagles beat the Falcons 27-10. I was at that game. And no, they did not throw anything at us. Was that the game? That I'm trying to remember if that was a game I got in a, in a shouting match with one of the Philadelphia TV reporterettes who was bad-mouthing Atlanta. And I'm sitting there watching the TV on the, the, the hotel. And I say, wait a minute, she's outside of the hotel. And she's making fun of Atlanta, and she's from Philadelphia. So I went down and started heckling her. <laughs> I pulled a Shannon Sharp, but I was defending my city. And uh, I started heckling her. It's pretty funny. In fact, some of the Phillies, the Eagles fans, they were laughing too. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else we got? 2011 uh, NFC Championship at Soldier Field. The Packers beat the Bears 21-14. Uh, earlier at Pittsburgh, the Steelers have beaten the Jets 24-19. to uh, Let's do a Pete's Tweets here, where I might actually do uh, that uh, Lou Holtz story. Let me see here. First of all, we'll start out. I forget who sent this to me. It's a story about Nick Saban. A, a, a young lady says, I was walking in the hallway during art at University of Georgia. And I look over and I go, oh my gosh, you're Nick Saban. And Saban goes, yes, I am. And you are not Herschel Walker. She had a Herschel jersey on at the time. 
And she said, no, sir, I'm not. And he laughed. But then he asked if I wanted to go to Georgia. And I said, I'm not smart enough. And he said, well, then come to Alabama. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just reading this. I did not say that. I'm just reading it. Don't get mad at me. Uh, I guess uh, the girl was a high school girl, and she was visiting Georgia at the time, something like that. That's what we're going to go with. (laughs) All right, here it is. I forget who sent this to me. Please tell me who you were, because you sent this to me a month ago. I was bad-mouthing Lou Holtz, and this person agreed with me. And uh, let me put it here. He said, Pete. Check the records, but I think Holtz is the only five-time loser in regards to having football programs sanctioned or placed on probation. He's ahead of Jackie Sherrill and Bobby Collins on the list. Boy, he's ahead of Sherrill. Of renowned cheaters who continue to be hired for Holtz, NC State, Arkansas, Minnesota, Notre Dame, and South Carolina were all found guilty of infractions while St. Lou was in charge. I believe this was the only time in Notre Dame history, but they did win a national championship. He also left his first job at William & Mary under a cloud. Lasted one year with the Jets before going to Arkansas. He cheated upwards to perceived better jobs. Why did he leave Notre Dame? Rumors were that he retired. The NCAA would not put the Irish on probation. You saw how things ended at South Carolina. Was it two or three years probation? Cheaters like Holtz always seem to get away with their indiscretions while never being held responsible. Holtz's common refrain was that he did not know what his subordinates were doing in breaking the rules. Bullfit. He parlayed his coaching career into a long gig on ESPN and motivational speaking to corporate groups at a hundred grand a pop. Yeah, he's a great role model. <laughs> Sorry to ramble on, but Holtz was the forerunner to all the football coaching whores of today. P.S. Always enjoy your show. <laughs> Please, I, I cut off your name on this, and I, I feel like an idiot doing it. All right, what else? What what do we got here? Uh, Okay, let me find out. Codify put out the best career batting average with two strikes from 1988 to 2022. Imagine you have two strikes on you. It's the pitcher's got all the cards. Uh, You had Ichiro Suzuki batted 253, Todd Helton 258, Juan Pierre 260, Luis Polonia, remember him from the 96 Worlds? Polonia, 261. Wade Boggs, 262. Okay, Wade Boggs, Hall of Famer, 262 with two strikes on him. But that pales in comparison to you-know-who, the nemesis of John Smoltz. Tony Gwynn batted 302. He batted over 300 with two strikes against major league pitchers over an entire career. That's how good he was. Arch Manning. This is a fake, but somebody went on Instagram uh, saying he was Arch. Observations from my first two weeks of the 40 Acres, which is Texas at Austin. Uh, This is home. Can't wait to get on the field. I'm already slipping some y'alls and fixin' twos into my vocabulary. You didn't grow up in New Orleans not knowing how to say y'all and fixin' two. You can get in playing shape just walking across campus. Austin is the coolest city I've ever been to. Everything's bigger in Texas, and everyone wants to help you out when you misplace your student ID. Now, he since came out and said, I did not at all do that. Haley Ray Ostrom is a very good-looking young lady who is in the golf community. And she said when she got engaged, she lost 4,000 Instagram followers immediately afterwards. It was men saying, oh, I don't want to follow you anymore because you're no longer single. Paige Spiranak has said that too, that she loses when she talks about other guys she's dating. 
something like that. She goes, the reality of being a female in the golf community. Thank you to those who stayed and celebrated. Wow. Says, I could have kept it secret, my engagement, but I do want to be real with y'all. Good for her. Uh, I followed her just because of that. Uh, David O'Brien covers the Braves. Says, Brian Snicker has made it clear that Vaughn Grissom will not be playing any left field this spring. It's not even being discussed. They have, and they already have too many outfielders now. I mean, they got, they've signed up six or seven guys that could play it. So one of them's going to break out in spring training. You know, at least one of them's going to make the team. Grissom will compete solely for shortstop or probably end up down in Gwinnett. Uh, NFL rumors pointed out that Jaguars' Trevor Lawrence was 41-0 and on Saturdays since his sophomore season in high school. Duval! Well, he's now 41-1. and uh, Justin Toscano reports that Mike Soroka of the Braves is in good spirits. It seems like he feels like himself again. He'll be a full go, and on the same schedule as the other pitchers come spring, he's really excited to get to camp. Good for him. David O'Brien again. Spencer Strider switched from number 65 to number 99. Nothing to do with his average fastball velo. He's just a big fan of Barbara Felton's uh, character in Get Smart. Remember Agent 99? No, no, no. He says nothing to do with his uh, 98.2 fastball velocity. It's because of Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn from the movie Major League who wore 99. Well, you know who played him. Uh, what's his face? Not Emilio Estevez, his brother. What the hell's his name? Oh, uh, Martin Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Okay, we'll talk about him in just a second. I am actually going to break this phone if it doesn't quit doing what it's doing. Uh, Michael Katz says, a thing that makes me feel old is that Chad Henney, the backup to Mahomes, was a five-star prospect in the class of 2004. Peter Burns, uh, like me, who uh, works for, e- I don't work for ESPN, but he does. He uh, does not like the uh, title games being played in neutral tweeted man the sights and sounds from arrowhead are awesome right now the only thing that could top this would be if this game would be played at a neutral site so the nfl could make more money (laughs) very very funny uh annie agar who i told you to follow last week she does a a breakdown on video of all the teams of the nfl and she's very funny she basically yesterday posted a picture of her not a video just a photo (laughs) of her in a Cowboys uniform with her mouth open, aghast at what she had just seen. And it made it. Now, I mentioned earlier about Sal Bando dying. Johnny Bench, the greatest catcher of all time and a contemporary. It's with sadness I think about the loss of Sal Bando. I've been a longtime admirer of a great third baseman and tough competitor with class. Rest in peace. Uh, Peter Burns also said, if you don't have a dog in the fight between the Bills and Bengals today, you have to pull for Cincy. You do not want to give the NFL a dry run and a neutral site championship. If you open that door, they're going to bid it out and ruin the best game environment they have each year. NFL and CBS tweets, the highest passer rating in postseason history, a minimum of 150 attempts. Kurt Warner at 102.8. Josh Allen, 104.6. Bart Starr, 104.8. Patrick Mahomes, 106.2. Pretty good. So Charlie Sheen wrote to Spencer Strider. He tweeted, does this mean I got to grow the stash? I'm honored, my man. Hashtag 99 fever. 
And Austin Riley's rakes wrote back, I mean, legally speaking, I think you have to throw out a first pitch in Atlanta now. Do we want, do we want, do I, I'm going to have to put this on Twitter. Do we want Charlie Sheen in Atlanta, much less in our, in the same ballpark that the rest of us are? I think we'd all have to be pressure washed afterwards. Uh, that uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. will play as just a DH, hopefully, in the uh, World Baseball Classic. or No, no, he's down in Venezuela for something. I, I forget what. He wasn't going to play. Now he is, so hopefully he'll stay hopefully good. Uh, Steven says, The NFL is approximately a $20 trillion company. That's overstating it. That still uses a Home Depot chain and two senior citizens to measure first downs. Please put a chip in the damn gridiron. Put a chi- put a chip and a sensor in the football, and let's do away with this. Uh, let's see. Uh, Freezing Cold Takes has put out all the NFL Network uh, experts' picks. I don't know when they picked this. If it was earlier in the season, before the season. Rich Eisen had the Bills over the Buccaneers. Steve Mariucci, Bills over the 49ers. What a homer he is. Kurt Warner had the Bills over the L.A. Rams. Michael Irvin, Bills over the Cowboys. Homer. Synthony Freeland, Bills over the Packers. Rachel Bonetta, uh, Bills over the Rams. Every one of them. Wrong, 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 wrong. NFL and CBS. Most playoff wins in NFL history. We have a tie at 36 between the Packers, Steelers, Cowboys, and 49ers. Number one, the Patriots at 37. Connor O'Gara writes for Saturday Down South. Uh, let's see. Patrick Mahomes. These are the four championship weekend quarterbacks that we'll be playing. Okay. Patrick Mahomes, a three-star recruit, was told he played in a gimmicky offense. At Texas Tech, he did. Joe Burrow. Had to transfer before year four to become a starter at LSU. Jalen Hurts was benched after starting two years. Benched in the championship game, which Tua won for them. He later transferred Jalen did to Oklahoma. And everyone's saying, well, Oklahoma, uh, Alabama can't claim him because he's the first Alabama quarterback to win a playoff game in, what, 40 years? A divisional playoff game? Since Richard Todd of the Raiders? I forgot Richard Todd was with the Raiders. Uh, but now Oklahoma's saying you can't claim him. Yeah, they can. And Brock Purdy, number 839 in the 2018 class, Mr. Irrelevant. Those are your four quarterbacks. When you keep talking about these five-star recruits, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's see. A response to the MMQB for their propaganda piece, their fluff piece for Roger Goodell about the AFC title games. NFC, BK2412 says, this is what happens when journalists are paid by NFL headquarters to write stories for them. It also shows what the focus is in Roger Goodell's office. Forget rewarding teams with home field in the championship games. Let's focus on more money for the NFL. Roger Goodell sucks. (laughs) Sparty Jones says, this has got to be the work of Jerry Jones, figuring this is the only way AT&T Stadium will ever host a championship game. Rick Needs Coffee Badly tweets, Tired of seeing the Patriots, Packers, or Chiefs host playoff games? Let's make the best teams travel across the country to the stadiums of loser franchises. Reward grift by the wealthy and influential. Football nerd, this is a corporate money run. We like home field. Stop trying to ruin the game by having a neutral site. Let the teams that work all year for it get home field. Kyle Heidel, this is quite possibly the worst idea the NFL has tried to force down the throats of owners and players in the last decade. They're not forcing it down the owners. 
The owners will all get a piece of the pie every year with it. Barrett Sully reporting that uh, Stetson Bennett fourth has been named the winner of the Manning Award to the nation's top quarterback. How about that? And that's it for Pete's Tweets. Hey, we got the Lou Holt story in. All right, let's go back to this date in baseball history, January 23rd, 1921. The Boston Braves trade shortstop Rabbit Marinville to the Pirates for outfielders Billy Southworth and Fred Nicholson, infielder Walter Barbara, and $15,000. 1950, Associated Press picks the 1914 Miracle Braves as the greatest sports upset in the 20th century. Boston became the first team to be in last place on July 4th. Last place before catching fire and winning the National League with a 94-59 and 59 record. Remember, you, the top team went to the World Series. There were no playoffs and wild cards, any of that crap. They had to beat all the other teams. They were in last place. Uh, let's see. They swept the Connie Mack, heavily favor, favored Philadelphia Athletics in the World Series. Did not win another pennant until 1948. 1962, the sports writers elect Dodgers infielder Jackie Robinson and Indians right-hander Bob Feller to the Hall of Fame. Jackie only got 77.5% of the votes. Bob Feller, just 94%. That's the first time they had picked uh, two players in the first year on the ballot. They also put in Ed Roush that year and manager Bill McKechnie. Mm. Uh, 1967, the Cardinals named uh, Stan Musial. Four years removed from uh, playing as a general manager. Huh. They won a world championship the first season on the job, uh, beating the uh, Red Sox. 1968, outfitter Joe Medwick captured the National Triple League. Joe Ducky Medwick captured the National League Triple Crown in 1937, enshrined in the Hall of Fame. A member of the Gas House Gang of the St. Louis Cardinals, batted 324, which I think was the same. Well, no, that's something else. Uh, 1973, the Hall of Fame uh, Veterans Committee picks 19th century players Mickey Welch and Mike Kelly. Smiling Mickey uh, won 307 games in his career. Uh, King Kelly, the baseball's first matinee idol. And they're joined by Billy Evans, nicknamed the boy umpire. He was just 22 when he was an umping. 1975, by the slimmest of margins, Ralph Kiner elected uh, 273 votes. Just enough to reach the 75%. Pittsburgh slugger, later a Mets broadcaster, tells a great story about um, Jamie Lee Curtis, was it? I think Jamie Lee Curtis. I'll tell you that some, some other time. I've told it before. 1979, first year of eligibility, Willie Mays. Good friend of the Kimmer. Uh, only got 409 votes out of 432. That's a little under 95%. Who the hell left Willie Mays? Sports writers. Sports writers. He's the only player elected that way. 23 scribes inexplicably leave the Say Hey Kid off their ballots. So remember that next time you're reading one of these columns from these guys, and you go, this guy doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. Ta-da! Thanks to Saturday Down South, ESPN, on this day, National Pastime, The Spun, and Insider.com for helping me out. Let's go to Twitter. Uh, they're cooking pot roast upstairs, and it smells good. Uh, let's see. But da, da, da. Mm, mm. Barrett Sully of CBSSports.com puts the SEC power rankings after the closure of the first transfer portal window. 
Last, Vanderbilt. Then Missouri, Texas A&M is just 12th. Kentucky, Florida 10th. Then Auburn, Mississippi State, South Carolina. Ole Miss is 6th. Then Arkansas at 5. Then Tennessee, Alabama 3rd. LSU 2nd. And Georgia number 1. How about that? All right. The Hall of Fame voting is tomorrow. Who's the next in Cooperstown? Carlos Beltran? No. Scott Rowland? Mm. Andrew Jones? Yeah. Jeff Kent? Probably. I'm not saying they will get in. I'm saying what I would vote. Todd Helton? Eh, not yet. Billy Wagner? Yeah. Gary Sheffield? You can make a case. Alex Rodriguez? Hell no. Manny Ramirez? At some point. Andy Pettit? I'd have Pettit in there. As much as I hated him as a player, I respect him. Tory Hunter? No. Tory Hunter's never getting in there. I'm sorry. I don't see anything else jumping out here. Elaine uh, Kiffin, once again, posting pictures of planes and airports. <laughs> That's what he does. Uh, what else we got here? Let's go to ESPN headlines before I let you go. Once again, T-shirts, farmhouseprintingco.com. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'd forgotten about his elbow. Uh, Josh Allen says his right elbow injury he suffered in week nine and a loss to the Jets. Uh, said he had to uh, change his throwing motion and probably took off a lot of his running He's gonna. It wasn't until two weeks ago he was able to get back mechanically to what he likes. So yeah, he was injured. I'd forgotten about that elbow injury. God, it happened so long ago. Uh, and that's it. Everybody have a great day. Rest of the day. I'll see you hopefully Wednesday. And uh, drink up Shriners. And uh, don't forget follow me on Twitter, Pete Davis One. Thanks for joining me. I'm off to eat pot roast and birthday cake. If there's any left. It's not my birthday. Oh, I want a big thank you to a gentleman by the name of David Thompson. I mentioned I, my apartment and storage room were flooded Christmas night and the night afterwards. Everything I had flooded. So I'm, I'm looking for a home. Thanks to everybody who's been helping me do that, sending me ideas. Please keep doing it. I'm still looking. Um, and I mentioned I lost several books, including a uh, first edition of uh, Winston Churchill book of uh, history he's got several histories of the english-speaking people in world war ii as only he could say it because he was there he did it um and he david took time to find i hope it didn't send one of his own send me a first edition uh a copy of winston churchill's the gathering storm maybe the best of all the books that he wrote about world war ii and uh, it was made. It's been made in two or three different movie adaptations. Albert Finney, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of uh, the Churchill movie with Gary Oldman was kind of based on it. It's just a great, a great book. And uh, thank you, David, for the bottom of my heart. That's one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. And uh, when, when before years ago, uh, my girlfriend, uh, right out of high school, bought had saved up and bought me like almost a complete set of his World War II masterpiece histories of um, the Churchill wrote. Some of them signed. And over the years, they disappeared. I don't know who walked off with them, but they, got, they disappeared. Uh, so, but so, I, so I'd gotten a couple a few years ago, and uh, David has now replaced The Gathering Storm. I really do appreciate that. Thank you very much. And uh, it's truly appreciated. Uh, drink up, Shriners, and drink to David. Lift a toast for David, too, for me. Thanks. Have a good one. Hotty toddy. <laughs>